My name is Farah Jimenez, and I grew up in the United States, and my parents immigrated from Cuba. Cuba was a democracy. I think that's what's hard for people to understand, is that Cuba was not a democratic socialist country. It was a democracy. People elected uh, people into office, and how quickly things can change um, when people want to embrace someone who tells them good things but can't deliver and won't deliver on those promises once they seize power. I was born in central New Jersey in a small town called Somerville. In the years that we were being raised, central New Jersey had not one Latino. So we were quite the unique group. Uh, to be landing there and living there. In fact, there were stories about my parents that made their way to the newspaper quite frequently. Uh, and they were quite featured because it was so unusual to have uh, immigrants in that community, but it was equally unusual for them to be from a Spanish-speaking country and for them to be black. So you have to imagine what it must have been like in the 1960s for a black, non-English-speaking family to arrive in a community that looked nothing like them. One of the things that I think is the richest part of being a Latina is the fact that we kiss all the time. Uh, so what I remember is <laughs> very much for my friends thinking very unusual that it would take so long for us to get in the house and out of the house because obviously the expectation was that everybody gets greeted with a kiss and a hug. Um, the touching and the embracing is just a big part of the spirit of being a Latina. But in addition, uh, you can't deny the foods are fantastic and the music was great. My father would play the tumbador um, as a hobby in the basement <laughs> and uh, would keep uh, Perez Prado playing on, the, on his uh, cassette tapes. And then, of course, every time I would come from, from, from college, my uh, grandma would make sure she told me, Fadi, I have a flan for you, because she would always make me flan, because it was my favorite. <laughs> Early on when Castro arose, there was this real love of this man who would introduce a revolution that would finally free uh, the general population and provide them with all the resources and supports they could ever want. And if you think about um, what that can mean to a young person, it's incredibly um, uh, compelling. What was true for my dad, though, is that once Castro came in government and he realized that a lot of the things that he had suggested, that he would be a man who would be open to people of faith, that he was going to be um, uh, much more open about fiscal policies. Um, and my father started to realize that there was none of that was going to happen, that those were all lies. As Castro started to evidence that he was going to uh, make it an atheistic country, he was going to shut down the churches, and he was going to make it difficult for people to continue their faith. But the other thing that my father saw is he saw my dad's, my granddad's business get shut down. He saw the houses that his father had worked very hard to be able to build and construct for each of his siblings get seized by the government. Um, he, he saw that there were going to be tests of ideology that were going to exist as to whether or not you could be the kind of doctor you wanted to be or choose the profession you wanted to choose. Because if you weren't aligned ideologically with the government, then those doors were going to be shut to you. My dad took his young wife, who had um, my sister in her belly at the time, um, and decided that they would find their way out of the country. They were really fortunate in that my father had a childhood friend from high school who had um, 
very warm feelings towards my father because of an act of generosity he had displayed earlier in this young man's life, but now found himself part of the Cuban government. So this young man, um, when hearing from my dad, arranged for them to get the last two seats on a flight, uh, leaving the country. And as my parents tell this story, they left the island with nothing except the clothes on their back, my sister in my mother's belly, and their education. So the socialism in Cuba looks a lot like what our politicians are trying to promise here, which is that um, we can provide education free to everybody, we can provide healthcare free to everybody. And as I often would say to my friends who really believe in that is, you have to understand Cuba was a democracy where there was definitely socioeconomic strata and differences, but everybody had the opportunity and the um, to look for ways that they could ascend. Said so once, once communism or socialism took hold in Cuba, all it did is it made sure that everybody was equally poor. So it did arrive at equality, but not the kind of equality people think one will get when they embrace this kind of ideology. It just doesn't work. It, it's counter human nature. When people work hard, they want to see the rewards of that. But yet somehow we're willing to embrace this idea that government can provide all things, take from those who are the wealthiest in our society and make sure that those who, for whatever the reasons, um, um, aren't able to provide those things for themselves at this time, um, should be able to get those things for, for free from government. Now, what people also need to understand about access is once everything was free, the healthcare system in Cuba that people often cite as being incredibly advanced is not available to everybody at that advanced level. So yes, absolutely, healthcare is free. But as my family members who are in Cuba would tell you who work in hospitals and in healthcare, is that their ability to access medicine wasn't the same. That often family members would turn to their Western family members to have them send the kinds of pills and medicine that they need because it's not available. So everybody's able to access it, but not at the same quality standard. It's just not, It's. it seems like it's just a basic understanding of economics, but somehow we're willing to be seduced by these ideas because they feel good, but they're not, there's no place in the world, Cuba being an example of that, where it, it has ever worked as the ideology would suggest. I think people should be careful about voting for that which they are fleeing. And I don't mean that just internationally, not just leaving Cuba and coming to the United States. I mean leaving one state where you are rejecting the life that you currently have, moving to another that seems to be providing you with the quality education, lower tax costs, and um, better quality of life, and then you continue to vote in the way that you voted from the state you just fled. Uh, it breaks my heart because there are values inherent in political parties and political systems. You have to pay attention to what those are and decide, is the place I'm leaving, one I'm leaving because of the system, and the place I'm going, one I'm going to because they got it right? Embrace the place I got it right and vote the way that they vote. I think my mom is an incredibly powerful figure in that she was uh, an obstetrician gynecologist. She was the first woman uh, to own a medical practice in New Jersey, and she's Black and Latina, if you think about that for a second. So it was very unusual at the time for a woman to be a doctor, but on top of it, for it to be a Black woman, a Latina woman, it was incredibly unusual. And that wasn't lost on me, what it took for her to come to a country where she didn't speak the language, 
figure out how to get board certified in a language that was foreign to her, to open up a successful medical practice and to become a respected member of the community where no one looked like her and no one looked like us. That's powerful because I think if you want to believe that the systems are set up to hold you back, it's hard to see that in my mom's story. There is a freedom and a joy that comes by deciding that you're not going to see the negative occurrences in your life as being shaped by racism or xenophobia. Because what does that do? What help does that bring to you? None. I don't think it's healthy to create environments where we force young people to question so much of what's happening in their lives as if other people have that much power over them. I think one of the most fun parts of uh, growing up a Black Latina is how often people assume you're just Black. And so they just assume that you are uh, have a certain worldview and um, a, a, a certain set of politics. They start with the assumption that she's Black, she must be a Democrat, and she's certainly, she must be a Democrat. She's working in social justice issues. Absolutely, there's gotta be no other way. So often I just tell people I'm a nonprofit executive director because I've run different nonprofits over 20 years. And they'll ask me questions about what I think is the best way to help people out of poverty. And I respond, I'd said, there are a couple of things. One is that you make sure that they have a quality education. Two is that they don't have a child out of wedlock. And three is that they don't get married until they're in their 20s. And they looked at me like I had completely lost my mind. And I said, well, there are a set of values and behaviors that evidence and research shows lead you to more success or to less success. And when I say success, I don't mean that you're going to be in the 1%, but that you'll have a life of financial sustainability and, and family sustaining wages. And um, this is what we have seen working in homelessness, that most of our family, most of our families are led by single moms who have multiple children and who don't have a completed education. This set sets up the challenges for them. It's not a system, is that it's a series of choices, whether they made them with intention or not, that made their lives much more difficult. Um, so the hope is to help people avoid those uh, choices early on so that their path forward is easier. What I think is interesting is um, during my tenure on the school board in Philadelphia, um, there would be times I would note who are the students who are coming and being presented as Students of the Month when we would celebrate our salutatorians and our valedictorians? What was the composition of the students? And I remember one time turning to the superintendent and saying, is it just me or disproportionately are the students that we recognize for excellence immigrants? And he said, no, it's not you. That's exactly what's happening. And what I took from that is that when you're a young person whose parents have told you how much they sacrificed to come to the United States to provide a way for you, uh, you recognize that it doesn't matter whether or not someone says your school is terrible or someone says your school is great, that you can get an education and that it's up to you to go get that education. And so I'm a fan of the idea that all kids should have access to an optimal education. And whatever it takes for us to provide that should be something we embrace. So whether it means that we fund them through vouchers, whether it means that we provide them with 
access to charter schools that are better performing so there's some competition in their neighborhoods, um, all those are great solutions. We should be more interested in the result that we can provide to those students than the um, uh, whether or not that input is one that feels politically uh, correct. I guess I'm a big believer that ultimately we have within ourselves the power to make the difference we want in our own lives. Um, that the most that we should be seeking from our government is the occasional support when we have moments where we need other people to help us. But it shouldn't be our sustenance. It shouldn't be the thing that keeps us alive. I think it's, it's an amazing place. Um, it's a place where no matter the conditions upon which you arrive, you can make your way. It's a country that is organized around an immigrant story and embraces people who are willing to work hard. And it doesn't matter what form that work takes, there's nobility in all of it. But what does matter is that it's something you get to create. It's within your power to shape it, that it's yours. Thank you so much for watching. I really appreciated the opportunity to share my story, to keep episodes like this alive, like Americanos. I hope you'll make a tax-deductible contribution to PragerU.